Good evening and blessings, and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom is Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author, Leslie Gist, and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who, with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. We're going to hop straight into tonight's presentation. We're going to be talking about African Americans in the field of medicine. They say there's nothing new under the sun. For that. So we're going to talk about the Free African Society. We're going to talk about this man right here, Mr. Richard Allen. We will talk about a rebuttal that he wrote to a critique of him and others in Philadelphia who did some great work. Uh, the Free African Society, the founders of the Free African Society, who, who they were, what they did. We're going to be talking about this brother here who provided some early vaccination inoculations in this country, um, Black Cross Nurses. Does that name ring a bell? Are you familiar with who or what the Black Cross Nurses were? We will provide you some information on that. Uh, also, give you some names and information that you may or may not know about some other black doctors who did tremendous work for not only black community, but America. And we'll talk about the world's first doctor, as well. Let me check in our show's host, or excuse me, our show's producer to see if she can hear me. Uh, can you hear me, Miss Leslie? I think that we were having an audio issue uh, to start things off, but uh, I would like to know if you can hear me. Those individuals use the hashtag Black Scout B L A C K S C O U T, and we will be searching that to find out who it is and what it is that you would like us to discuss. All right. Without any further ado, we will begin tonight's topic. I saw this news article, this headline, and it speaks volumes. It somewhat is the reason why we are here. We want to inspire, uplift, and encourage next generation. This title speaks volumes. Proud black teens do better in school. I have to say that one more time. Proud black teens do better in school. I think teenagers do best in school when their parents not only prepare them for possible bias, but also instill in them a sense of racial pride. African-American teenagers perform better academically when the parents instill in them a sense of racial pride. Knowing who you are and whose you are, knowing that you descend from a line of greats, significant people, I'm talking from the dawn of time, these very shores, knowing about the blood that courses through your veins, knowing about inspiring, uplifting, and encouraging stories of how your people have positively impacted their region of the country, the country as a whole, and the world does something to change and rearrange the minds and 
hearts and souls and spirits of young people. And as I always like to say, it's not only our right, but our responsibility to do uh, our responsibility to do all that we can to plant those seeds and water and nurture those seeds inside of our young people so that they can live robust, vibrant, proud, and productive lives. Here at the Just a Freedom Radio Show, we've had a series going on where we have been showcasing statues and landmarkers. Um, and here's one that you may or may not be familiar with. There was an organization known as the Free African Society. That's right. Direct, to the point, no chaser, no filler. The name, direct, lets you know who they, are, who they were and what they were all about. Uh, we have a caller who wants to uh, join in on the conversation. Uh, we see you, caller, and we will uh, get you in on the conversation here. Uh, momentarily, feel free, uh, Miss Producer, Miss Gist, to uh, bring our caller in as you uh, was established in 1787 under, under the leadership of Richard Allen and Absalom Jones. This organization fostered identity, leadership, and unity among blacks and became the forerunner of the first African-American churches in the city of Philadelphia. This is put up by the Pennsylvania Historical and Museum Commission in the year 1991. These are some free, proud, and productive black men and women who did some amazing, amazing work. Again, we are currently in a pandemic that is magnified to a global scale of something called an epidemic. An epidemic is, again, a widespread uh, medical issue, and those people in the Free African Society, led by this man, Richard Allen, assisted in saving lives during a pandemic in the late 1700s. And we're going to talk to you a little bit about our brother Richard Allen here. This brother was born and enslaved, purchased his freedom, and went on to be one of the founders of the Free African Society, but also he founded the first black national church known as the AME Church. Mother Bethel AME, there in Philadelphia. You perhaps know someone who is a member of the AME Church. There are AME churches all across this nation and all across the globe. And then this man right here, Mr. Richard Allen, had the vision, had the insight, had the foresight to uh, establish that church. An amazing, amazing brother. He was an activist and an abolitionist. Additionally, he was a minister, educator, and as I previously said, he was born and enslaved initially. A um, little bit more about this brother. When he passed, there is a uh, – no, let me, let me say this. I'm going to read. Again, there was a, an epidemic that took place. Uh, yellow fever epidemic, and brothers and sisters, a part of the Free African Society, helped save many of lives. When asked how he did it, why he did it, what provided them the internal fortitude to make it happen, this is what our brother 
had to say. He said, the Lord was pleased to strengthen us and remove all fear from us and disposed our hearts to be as useful as possible. Let's dive in a little bit deeper into what precisely was taking place during the year 1793 in Philadelphia. This comes to us from PBS. I'm going to read it because this is a topic that many of us aren't familiar with. Philadelphia's yellow fever pandemic of 1793 was the largest in the history of the United States, claiming the lives of nearly 4,000 people. That's a conservative estimate. Um, I've read other reports where there were higher fatalities than the 4,000. In the late summer, uh, as the number of deaths began to climb, 20,000 citizens fled to the countryside. Some people that you know fled. I'm talking about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and other members of the federal government. Because you must understand, at the time, quarter of the federal government was in Philadelphia. At the urging of this businessman and activist, Caucasian gentleman named Benjamin Rush, uh, the support of Philadelphia's free black community, free African society members, uh, were enlisted by Absalom Jones, Richard Allen, and William Gray, a fruit seller who, along with Allen and Jones, had secured support to build the African church the previous year. Excuse me. In an effort to prove themselves morally superior to those who reviled them, again, racism was alive and well at that time, and the free, proud, and productive, and upwardly mobile African people were not exactly welcomed. People reviled them, didn't like them, didn't appreciate them, didn't like the self-determination that they were manifesting. But yet and still, they took the moral high road, said they wanted to demonstrate that they were morally superior to those who despised them and looked to rightfully use them. Philadelphia's black society put aside their resentment and dedicated themselves to working with the sick and dying in all capacities. As African people who had formal and informal nursing skills uh, took on the act of becoming nurses. They were cart drivers and grave diggers. Despite Russia's belief that the black individuals, individuals with African set to disease, about 240 black men and women died of the yellow fever. So risking life, risking limb, risking their own health, we jumped into the fray, jumped into the frying pan, and began helping the sick, the shut-in, and those who were impacted by yellow fever in the year 1793. Again, people ran to the countryside, wanted to get out of the city as this largest epidemic this country had ever seen was taking place, 1793. Uh, as the weather cooled, the, the disease subsided, and the death stopped. Then accusations began against the black citizens who had worked so hard to save the sick and dying. The attack was led by a man named Matthew Carey, who wrote a pamphlet that attacked many of the black community. As a response to the pamphlet was published by Richard Allen and Absalom Jones. So let me just set the stage here. A pandemic, an epidemic, began, spread by mosquitoes. There was all sorts of misinformation. The first casualty in any war, first casualty in any 
large destruction is truth and information. And so people thought uh, black people carried the disease, and there was, there was a thought that black people couldn't even catch the disease. Uh, they thought there was rotting um, coffee on the docks that were making people sick. Despite not knowing, despite not having a true grasp, despite not understanding exactly what was going on, black people jumped into action and began doing what they could to save lives, and their action undoubtedly saved tons of lives. But after the fear, after the valid epidemic took place, as opposed to receiving pats on the back and accolades and awards, the black people in Philadelphia who risked life and limb were roundly criticized for asking for money during the pandemic. I'm not talking about they were begging. I'm talking about the people who were nurses who worked from can't see in the morning to can't see at night to subside and subdue the symptoms of yellow fever were volunteering at first, but then said, hey, we need to be paid. We need to be compensated for our services. Many of them were entrepreneurs and had other economic ventures that they were into that they completely put on the back burner in order to spring into action and save lives. And uh, the white the white people in the area uh, wanted our free brothers and sisters to act enslaved and not be compensated, not be properly taken care of for the job that they did. People wanted us to, again, work for free, wanted us to be beggars. Uh, they said the, the grave diggers were paid too much, as well as the nurses, the cart drivers, and others. Very, very, very sad. So. Not only was this just a mild opinion and something out of some of the town gossip. No, people actually put pen to paper and wrote narratives and wrote discourses and wrote all sorts of things that were disparaging the black people who put their lives and limbs on the line. But our good brother Absalom Jones, our good brother Richard Allen, wrote this as a response, a narrative of the proceedings of black people during the late awful calamity in Philadelphia in the year 1793, a refutation. The image of a black nurse at that time in 1793 was somewhat revolutionary. An upgrade from simply mom and pop, big mama and them who had home remedies, there were actual legions, actual large numbers of what is called the Black Cross Nurses in the early 1900s in this very country. I'm talking about certified, bona fide, medical professionals, Black Cross Nurses. This name, this title, this moniker was given to them by the most honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey of a society. All facets of a community need to be owned and operated by us. That's just makes sense, in my opinion. Not just simply of an all-black medical staff. It appears as if their patient there in the gurney in the back has had some sort of leg trauma. We see the nurses and the doctors and the surgeons operating on our brother. Images shape our reality. Let me say that one more time. Images shape our reality. There's a saying, a picture is worth a thousand words. That's why we show you these photos. This perhaps may be the first time you've ever seen a black doctor. 
for many, I'm sure, this is the first time you've ever seen an all-black, I don't want to say cast, because there are no, there are no actors here, but an all-black ensemble of medical professionals. Faith without works is dead. Faith without good deeds. Faith without action. Faith without unity. Faith without doing the work, indeed, is dead. Here's another black doctor. Although he was light-skinned, that is a brother. This is our brother, Dr. Charles Drew. Let me tell you about this brother. He developed ways to process and store blood plasma in blood banks. That's right. If ever you've gone and given blood for a blood drive, whether it be for work or what have you, you were interacting with the fabulous and beautiful mind of our brother, Dr. Charles Group. It is his methodology. It is his research. It is his contribution to blood banks that allowed for blood blanks and blood drives. He directed the program of the United States and Great Britain during World War II. When casualties were taking place on the battlefield, again, tons, innumerable more lives would have been lost in World War II in any battle that we've had after that if it was not for our brother, Dr. Charles Drew. He resigned from working with the U.S. government after he was told that there would be a policy in which the blood donated by black people would be segregated. You cannot look at a vial of blood and determine if it's black blood or white blood by simply looking at it. However, racists, imbeciles, ignorant people wanted to deny access, wanted to deny I'm, 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 I'm struggling to find the word. Just wanted to deny black people the ability to donate blood, and it's absolutely foolish. Our brother, Dr. Charles Drew, became the first African-American to graduate with a degree from Columbia. Dr. Charles Drew, a name that you should remember. It is now being said that the blood plasma treatment, and perhaps the only way for us to move through and find ourselves on the other side of this COVID-19 pandemic. Our brother, Dr. Charles Drew, from the grave, he's no longer living, so from the grave, his works, his contributions, the legacy that he left is still alive and helping save lives. At his funeral, the eulogy that was provided by the pastor, these were the words that were spoken. So Drew had a life which crowds into a handful of years. He died at the age of 45. Uh, crowded into a handful of years of significance. So great, men will never be able to forget it. Let me tell you, let me just read that one more time. Our our show's producer, Ms. Leslie Gets the Freedom, says that she has a portrait of Dr. Charles Drew hanging in her home. This is how significant this man was and is. 
At his eulogy, it was said, in life, he had lived a life which crowds itself into a handful of years of significance, so great that men will never forget it. And as I just mentioned, the blood plasma, the blood banking, the separating of blood to have various functions developed by our brother Charles Drew is what quite possibly is going to lead us to and through a solution for the global pandemic that we are facing. There's another individual of African descent, another black person who is leading the way, is assisted by the name of Kizmikia Corbet, from if I'm saying him right, who has been tapped as a leader, one of the leading minds in the fight against the pandemic. Again, what we call black history truly is the missing pages of world history. What, what, what do you mean, Brother Jamal? Why are you saying this? What, what I'm saying is we have people whose works and actions have positively impacted the world and continue to allow life to be lived more abundantly. Uh, I'm trying to bring this article about Kismikia into our conversation here. Let me add this slide. Let's see, let's see. got a lot going on here. Uh, oh, I can do this. Let's share. Stop share. Here is an article about Sister Kismikia. Comes to us from April of this year. Here she is on the left. Dr. Fauci, the uh, man in the Oval Office here, being put up on game, being talked to by Dr. Kismikia. Uh, Dr. Excuse me, when President Trump went to the National Institute of Health for an update on progress towards the vaccine for COVID-19 back in March. Many of those who, stand, who sat behind the presidential seal with him were white men, well-known in the worlds of science, medicine, and now national anxiety control. Vaccine and infectious disease specialist Dr. Fauci was there. Um, sitting next to Graham was Kamikia Corbert of the National Institute of Health research fellow. Again, here is an image of our sister who is making some great strides in terms of helping us get to and through a solution. We appreciate her. Another individual whose name should be etched in our hearts and minds who made significant contributions to allow us to be who we are and what we are today. His name is Dr. Daniel Hill Williams. Dr. Daniel Hill Williams opened the Provident Hospital, the first medical facility in this country to have an interracial staff. Black, brilliant minds next to white, brilliant minds, all there for the purpose of saving lives. This took place in a hospital that was opened by this brother right here. Speaking of open, 
This brother was one of the first documented people. Some reports say he is actually the first. But we'll go on the conservative side of things and say that he's one of the first to perform open heart surgery. That's right. Our brother, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams, one of the first people to perform open heart surgery. There was a gentleman, his last name was Cornish, who got into a fight. And he was stabbed in the chest with a broken glass bottle. No time for anesthesia. No time for surgery prep. Dr. Daniel Williams laid him on the operating table and performed open heart surgery on the brother. and saved the gentleman's life. The gentleman lived a proud and productive life for several years after that surgery. Dr. Daniel Williams went on later to be the chief surgeon at the Friedman's Hospital. We don't have our brother in this presentation, but there's a brother by the name of Vivian. Getting his first name right now. Uh, there's a movie about him. Uh, play, uh, Most Death played him. Uh, I feature him in one of the products, Vivian Thomas. Thank you, Vi Vivian Thomas. Um, he is featured in a movie called The Lord Maid. I believe that's the name of the movie. Uh, there was a scenario where babies... Uh, uh, percentage of babies were born with their hearts having a defect and they were born blue because of the lack of oxygen. And our brother, Vivian Thomas, who did not have a formal medical background, a formal medical training, did not have a medical degree, somehow, through his work as a veterinarian working on dogs, discovered the methodology to save hundreds and thousands of lives. But because of the color of his skin, he was not allowed to be the man. He had to stand behind a white man who did not have his skills, who did not have his abilities. The white man had to sneak Vivian Thomas into the hospital. He oftentimes dressed as a janitor in the hospital would go into the closet, put on scrubs, and assist the white doctor in theater known as the surgery room. At John Hopkins University today, there is a portrait of our brother, Vivian Thomas. His methodology is still used to this day to save babies who are born with certain heart defects. Vivian Thomas, look him up. You never, ever, ever have to simply rely on a word that comes out of my mouth. Everything we say here at the Disappearing Radio Show is documentable, verifiable, and we encourage you to check it out. Let's pause for a moment for station identification. You are listening to the Disappearing Radio Show. There are over 500 shows that we have archived at blackhistoryuniversity.com. You can find us at Blog Talk Radio. Search Gist of Freedom and search 
Uh, just to them on iHeartRadio, uh, Apple iTunes, YouTube as well. Also check out black365.com, B-L-A-C-K-365.com. There you will find a whole host of black history products that are suitable for all ages that showcase positive information that is sure to uplift and encourage you. In the previous slide, I mentioned that our brother, Dr. Daniel Williams, opened the Provident Hospital. And you, like me, before I began doing this research, began scratching my temple and said, wait a minute, there are black hospitals? Here is a partial list, a very small list of black-owned and operated hospitals in these United States, spanning from the early, excuse me, late 1800s on up to the 1960s. There we see a Provident Hospital, again, opened up by our brother, Dr. Daniel Hill Williams, the Tuskegee Institute and Nurses Training School. Uh, all right. Uh, caller, are you still there? I'm here. I'm all waiting. Right, all right. Uh, all right. Uh, our brother, were you familiar or did you have any knowledge that there were black-owned and operated hospitals in these United States? No, I, I didn't, but I'm not surprised. No doubt. No doubt. Again, as being the first people on the planet, it only makes sense that we had methodologies and ways of going about. Yes. And uh, you said something about that lady that... Um did something with the the babies, and you you wondered how. Um, it, it, yes, it's actually a brother. Is a brother by the name of Vivian. Yes, but brother Vivian Thomas. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've been like raising our own uh, midwives and things like that for years before they had doctors. Before the white man took the knowledge and. Um, let me see. What's a good word? For he took it and monetized it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Into his way. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. That's a beautiful point. And another thing about Charles Drew. Yep. They let him die. Because what was it, a car accident, right? And he went to a White House, and they wouldn't do anything for him. All that he did and stuff like that, they let him die. Our brother, Dr. Charles Drew, indeed, he was in a car ride heading to, I believe, Tuskegee for a doctor-nurses conference. He was in the car with two other doctors, and indeed, the car... Now, that I didn't know. Yeah, the car uh, slid off the side of the road. Uh, they believe he was probably fatigued, tired, ran into a tree, and the car's engine, in essence, sliced our brother virtually in half. Uh, pretty much mm. disemboweled him. Uh, he rushed to a hospital, and indeed, he died from bloodletting. He, he died from the loss of blood. Some say that the scene, by, by, by looking at the scene, no one would have survived it. But there also is definitely, again, reports that because of the color of his skin, he was denied certain access. Yes. The process denied that he invented, they wouldn't even mm -hmm. use it on him. 
but they use it today. And um, speaking on history is is good, but I like to apply it to current events. That's always important, yes, sir. Yes, we have we have a president here that he wants to make America great. That's his way of taking us back. Hmm. And uh, he wants to change everything. Do you know that Obama left him a recipe to deal with uh, COVID? And what he did with it, he he threw it out, like most of the other things he's doing with what Obama did. Hmm. And and he said, like last night, he said he's not racist. In whose world? And let me ask. Dave, I'll go with him. Uh, you broke up there for a moment. Oh, sorry. How many people that you know of on your station that is a, a Obama fan or uh, voter? Um, I can't answer that with any uh, with any certainty. Yeah, but he said, "Oh, what he said last night." You know that that's what he, I thought of. I thought uh, Biden was supposed to debate him last night. Um, I'm not too sure. Yeah, the no, last time it was just him, just him and Stephanopoulos. I hadn't been keeping up uh, too 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 much. I was perhaps uh, preparing for uh, for tonight's show. <laughs> I wanted to uh, let the people know about. I wanted to let the people know about this brother right here. We we cannot talk about doctors without talking about the world's first recorded doctor. His name is Imhotep. I M H O T E P. Imhotep. His name stands or means he who comes in peace. And the Greeks, the Romans, not only knew about Imhotep, who comes came to us from. Egypt, third dynasty in Egypt. The Greeks and Romans actually worshipped Imhotep as if he was a god. But in fact, he was a man. He walked this earth. He was made of flesh and bone. I like to call him the world's first documented Renaissance man. He was the Grand Vizier, meaning second in charge of all of Egypt at a time when Egypt was the most powerful place on the planet. He was an astronomer, he was a poet, he was a doctor, the world's first documented doctor. The image you see of him on the left is a statue. The image that you see on the right is a photo that I actually took myself in the year 2005 when I had an opportunity to go to Egypt. This here location is a temple dedicated to Imhotep. And you see a man holding something. I've asked people what they think it is. I've heard a myriad of answers. The funniest answer that I've ever heard, someone said, it has to be a cowbell. I gave them all sort of context clues and said, you know, M. Hotel was a doctor. This here is a 
medical temple dedicated to our brother Imhotep. And whether it be ignorance, whether it be racism, whether it be a joke that was either above my head or below my knees, the person stuck by the answer that this had to be a cowbell. But no, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the image that you're looking at is a man holding a stethoscope. You know, the thing that's cold, that the doctor wears around his, around his uh, neck and listens to your heartbeat. Yes, there's a stethoscope on the walls in Egypt over 3,000 years ago. People who attempted to erase Imhotep's story knocked off his head. So if you see on the right, the head of Imhotep has been knocked off. Nevertheless, what's being depicted here on the walls in Egypt over 3,000 years ago is Imhotep about to perform surgery. How do we know? In somewhat the middle of the picture, you see a wash bowl. Hopefully, before any doctor touches you, they have indeed properly sanitized and washed their hands. Here's a close-up photo of that wash bowl. Also on the wall, you see images of what appear to be modern medical instrumentation on the walls in Egypt over 3,000 years ago. Without much of a stretch of the mind or imagination, you can see, like I can see, images of tweezers or forceps, scalpels, images of sponges and cups, images of scissors on the walls in Egypt over four, 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. Some of the so-called greats, the Greeks, the Romans, traveled to Egypt. Mind you, Egypt is in Africa. Let me make sure I make that disclaimer. Egypt is in Africa. Though it has been, it always will be. The ancient Egyptians were black people. Skin color, like mine perhaps, and even darker. Egypt is in Africa. It always has been. It always will be. Each and every time I've ever seen our brother, Imhotep, depicted, he's been depicted jet black. He was an African person. Our brothers and sisters from the south in Egypt come from a place called Nubia. Nubia is southern Egypt, northern Ethiopia, and parts of Sudan. Blacker and blacker and blacker. But again, we have Imhotep, who was a doctor. We see some of his instrumentation here on the walls in Egypt over 2,000 years ago. Here is a young Mr. Blackley, 65. That's me right there in the red shirt, the year 2005. The sister next to me was a young sister. I'm thinking junior high age. And again, to show you the power of our story, show you the transformative energy that is provided to our people, particularly our young people, once they are exposed, once they have uh, had an opportunity to have their minds opened to facts about the greatness that is our history, this young sister let the tour know that she was so inspired by what it is that she was seeing that she was going to 
change her desired career field from being a dancer to being a doctor. She said she did not know. Her textbook did not teach her they were black doctors. And in fact, the world's first doctor was black. We started off tonight's show talking about teens who are exposed to knowledge of self do better in school. I'm talking math, history, English, science. The subjects in regular school, we see the grades go up. We see the test scores go up once these young people have knowledge, information, and facts about who they are instilled and encapsulated and injected inside of them. That is why we do what we do here at the Just Freedom every single week, provide you with images, provide you with stories, provide you with information about the best of who we are in an attempt to make today and tomorrow a more beautiful and brighter day. I would like to say thank you. I'm always gracious and humbled that you've joined us. Please check us out, Black History University. 365.com. We'll see you on our next show. Contact us. Use the, uh, use the hashtag Black Scout, B-L-A-C-K-S-C-O-U-T, and we'll see you on our next show. Peace.